Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 298. Still not ready to get a quarantine haircut. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> Desperate need of a haircut. Yeah. And my wife's like, I'll just do it for you. And I'm like, ah, I'm robbed off. <laughs> I don't know about that. I told Lakeisha, I was like, uh, I need a haircut. And she was like, don't look at me. Not going to happen. <laughs> She's not she's not gonna be to blame. She she knows her boundaries. She's exactly, like draws a line. Exactly. Done exactly. Here, we're done here. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, we got man. an interesting one today for multiple reasons. First of all, we got a lot of good uh a lot of good interaction and questions being asked recently. Evelyn wrote in this morning and asked a doozy of a question about First Corinthians. It's a really difficult one. We're not gonna. We're not. We're not doing it today. Oh, teaser! Super teaser. Maybe we'll do it next week. Oh. Anyway, um, yeah. How, how's it going, man? It's going well. Uh, we got uh, praise God. Yeah, I, am, got, I just am so. It's like I'm blown away by how by God's providence He has preserved the scriptures in the world. And that we have not only original languages, but we have, we can study manuscript history. We have so many translations with so many commentaries. And yeah, it can seem overwhelming, but I mean, it's simple and clear. Yeshua said, seek first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff will be taken care of. Yep. And that's our, that's our marching orders. And it's literally, there's no, I mean, what excuse is there? I mean, in, if we go back to the Reformation days, go back 500 years, what were their obstacles? And what was the historic situation of the obstacles of, and then the, the little sparks that ignited what we call the Reformation? 
And then what are our obstacles today? I feel like, I feel like if some of the reformers came here today, they would see the church as lazy, as oh, like lazy yeah, and yeah, fat and definitely. slumbering. It's like, it reminds me as in, is it in the end of Deuteronomy, the song of Moses where he says, you know, Israel, Jeshurun has waxed fat yep. and kicked. Yep. It's just like, it, and I like, I feel like, you know, there's people say, oh, like, well, you know, you study the Bible all day, like, you know, and I have, this, you know, and it's like, dude, it's like, you don't even understand. Like, first of all, yes, I'm blessed to have a job that I'm in the, in the word, but I'd be in the word anyway, because right. for, you know, how decades I was in years, the word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know? And it's just like, we have to, we, we have to persevere in our studies and our, our passion. you got to hold tight, hold on tightly to the word of God. And you've got to learn and you've got to, you've got to own it. One of the things, and I know this, this is totally spontaneous. One of the things I've been like, I, I've been getting up early because I, I, I'm one of those guys that once the birds start singing and the sun starts coming up, I wake up. My wife's like, bring the blinds down. <laughs> I'm staying in bed, you know, so I'll get up and it's like, so I'm like, okay, so it's springtime again. And the, you know, the temptation is because often it's like, I'll, I'll pop open my laptop and I'll use my Bible program to get into the word. But I, what I've done is I've, you know what I'm in this whole coronavirus thing. I'm like, man, you know, I, I'm going to, what if I didn't have this electronics? So my, my morning time has been, I'll, I'll make a cup of coffee or something and I will, and I'll, and I've been graced to have a, just a, you know, a place where it's quiet and I can enjoy the, the sunrise, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm Lord, just bring to my, I want to just meditate on your word, but not by opening the Bible, by what I've memorized, what scripture do I already have? in my heart that if I was out in the wilderness and I didn't have anything but just to be with the Lord, what scripture do I already have stored up to meditate upon and to chew on and to be my, like, you know, my transition into the day. And it's awesome. I would encourage people to do that. It's like, you know, because it's, it's, we do get dependent on electronics, you know, or even print. And I guess not that you always have to do that. I think it's good to have electronic Bibles. I think it's good to have printed Bibles. I, I'm not down in that. But if we're going to identify with the early church, they didn't have printed Bibles. They didn't have internet. You know, when, when Paul is on mission, you know, there's, he writes to Timothy, remember he says, bring the scrolls, you know, right. It's like, bring my laptop. <laughs> you know? It's like, bring my accordance. You know, it's like, it's, that's the kind of thing. So what did he do in the morning? You have, and when Paul's writing his letters, he's not looking, okay, wait a minute. Let me look up, make sure I quote Jeremiah correctly. You know, he's, he's producing it from the memory. You know, this is right? one of the, this and is one this of the, this is where, this is where I think that Psalm one person is that's, that's meditated and we've learned, but then we have it stored up in our hearts. This is one of the places where the whole social media uh, show, what was that last week or two weeks ago came from? In other words, the idea of, okay, how, how often do we pull out the phone and we go to 
any insert favorite social media here, right? I mean, like Mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, whatever it may be. And then how many hours do we spend each week in those things? And then my idea was, okay, well, and contrast that with your prayer time or time. And and for me, what I did was I thought, okay, let's just, you know, I got like eight books I'm reading at one time. I can never get through a full book because basically I like. I get so interested and then I get disinterested and then I just can't, they just kind of, you know, I got, I got like 150 bookmarks and different books all over my bookshelf. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, uh, I thought, okay, I'll tell you what, instead of pulling out the, the social media, pull out a book, I'll pull out, I'll try to pull out a book. And I've been doing that for about two weeks. And I got to say, I've read a lot more. (laughs) So right on. All right, let's jump into this. Um, first of all, let's just say, uh, you know, I, I already put our producers for this show up, <clears throat> and thank you to um, all of our producers. If you want to become a producer, our spring producer credits are up right now. Um, you can go to torresource.com, hover over resources, go down to Messiah Matters, and then there's all sorts of information on there. By the way, Mike also did us a great favor and put up all of our past seasons in audio format on that page. So if you want to listen nice. to archives, you can go to all the archive pages, scroll to the bottom of that page, and there's... there. Way to go, Mike. Way to go, Mike. They, they separated them in... He separated them into uh, seasons, so you can listen to various seasons. Yeah, it's good times. All right. Um, we've actually talked about this before. We're going to talk about it again. We took a totally different approach. At least I did last time we talked about it. Here's the question that was posed to us. Um, let me find my notes. Here's the the question that was posed. Oh, by the way, before we get started, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205, that's our comment line, or chegg at torresource.com, c-h-e-g-g at torresource.com. Okay, um, here is the question that was posed to us. What do we say to the, and now, by the way, I got to say, this was, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty convinced this was an anti-missionary, or someone who as, is aspiring to be an anti-missionary. If you don't know what an anti-missionary is, that'd be someone who's Jewish who is attempting to combat Christianity. So I've seen I've seen anti-missionaries that were not Jewish but that wanted to be like they yeah. were bitter messianics. Right. Who, who, yeah. And we actually had a number of these. It's like all of a sudden some anti-missionaries found our, our YouTube channel. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, but this person started off by asking some questions and then by the end was like, therefore Jesus could not be the Messiah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I see oh, what you, I, I see what you got it tra- all. He's got yeah, it all figured I, out. I see what you're trying to do here. Okay. Um, this is what this person <laughs> says. What do we say to the Orthodox Jew who says the innocent cannot die for the guilty? Ezekiel 18, 19 through 21. So this we is so convenient then. Like, right. Are we, are we a group now? Okay. Sorry. I interrupted. No, no, no. That's okay. Wait, what do we say to the Orthodox Jew yeah, that says Ezekiel eighteen. Innocent, uh, the innocent cannot die for the guilty. Ezekiel eighteen nineteen through twenty one. Let's let's read that verse. Okay. Ezekiel eighteen. That's right. Nineteen. Yeah. Through twenty one. Give it to me. Now the whole context. This the whole chapter is is awesome. But so we have to acknowledge that we're cutting out a bit here. He's the, uh, Ezekiel is basically confronting the teachers of Israel that they've misrepresented God's justice. 
and he and so he's trying to give them a, a school in here. He says, yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. This is, this is where it says, hanefesh hachotet, he tamut. This is what Paul says, the wages of sin is death. Paul just puts it a different way. The son will not bear punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. Right. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and observes all my statutes and practices, oh, observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions, which he had committed, will not be remembered against him because his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Rather than that, he should turn from his ways and live. Okay, so that's the passage. So the way it was quoted in the email misrepresents, in my view, it completely misrepresents what we just read in, the, uh, in Ezekiel. Right. Let me read. Let me read you one other passage here that is pertinent. This is from the end of Luke twenty-four, which is fitting because this is part of Yeshua's instruction during the counting of the Omer, right between his resurrection and then his uh, subsequent appearances and teaching concerning the kingdom of God before his ascension. Which then there was that last week of waiting in Jerusalem while they were waiting counting to uh, Shavuot or Pentecost. Right. And he says, uh, this is Yeshua said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And, and he said, he, meaning Yeshua said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and for, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says, you are witnesses of these things. Okay, so the core, this is, this is what is written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. That means in the resurrected Messiah's name to all the nations, starting with Jerusalem. Okay. This fits beautifully well with what Ezekiel is talking about here. Because Yeshua's the core, the core tip of the spear of the gospel is the cry of re to repent from sin and the promise and the, the assurance of God's loving kindness and forgiveness for sin. Ezekiel is just saying the same thing. Ezekiel says, repentance is required for entrance into life. Repentance is required. So when it says Yeshua, how did he say, uh, how did he say it in his, um, so he says, what do we email? say to the Orthodox Jew who says the innocent cannot die for the guilty? 
Ezekiel 18, 19 through 21. Okay, okay. Therefore, Jesus could not die for us. That's his first point. Okay, so so let we got to drill down on this. Jesus can't die for us because the innocent can't die for the guilty. We need to investigate what this what this means. Because, because first of all, we have this situation of Yeshua's death, which Yeshua had no sin. Yeshua is unique in, in all humanity. And so his, his crucifixion, however, was, was becoming a curse. Paul makes this point. Yeshua's suffering and death was not for his own sin, but to deliver blessing. He puts it this way. He says, greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friends. Well, no greater love has ever been expressed than in Yeshua's laying down his life for the elect. But his laying down of his life is not, it, it, it doesn't mean that Yeshua died for me, therefore I don't, therefore repentance is not part of my salvation. It's Yeshua's giving out of love, according to the will of the Father, giving of himself and, and expressing God's true love and suffering and dying along the way because that was what the rulers were going to do to him did not detour him as it says in hebrews you know for the joy set before him he endured the cross it despised the shame right that he gives us his spirit by but when we when we trust in him when we trust in who he is we become one with him and we cannot become one with him without without there being the truth in our hearts, which is the enactment of, of what Jeremiah calls the Brit Hadashah, the writing of the Torah on our heart, whereby we recognize the reality of our sin, the depravity of our nature, and we confess it and we rejoice in the grace of God. So to me, it's it's so it, it uh, the email is such a straw man, I guess. Well, here's the thing. Okay, hang on just a sec. Let me let me jump in here. The way that I see this is that you got uh, several different things going on here. First of all, in Ezekiel 18, he's talking about a, a like a, a court of law. An earthly court. That look, in 10 he says, "Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does many uh, any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things." That is even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abominations. He lends money on interest and takes in, in, increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. Okay, and then it goes on to say, but not so, but the father doesn't, you know, just because the son is an idolater and does all these horrible things, and here's the interesting thing. Now, the last time we talked about this, we talked about we talked about um, 
because this is going to get into the second question. And the second question is, and this will tie in, so I'll just read his second question. They say, number two, they also say human sacrifice is abhorrent to God, and under no Jewish-Hebrew basis would God allow or approve of such a thing. Therefore, again, Jesus could not be the Jewish Messiah. Um, so the idea that a that God abhors human sacrifice and therefore um, a person could never atone for the sins of, of another person. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is just not the case. The last time we talked about this, we talked about... Um, the Akidah, right? The binding of Isaac. Mm-hmm. And we got so many comments from Jew- Jewish uh, unbelievers who said, this is taking way out of context. It wasn't, but that's okay. So I, instead of going that direction this time, I thought, you know what? Okay, let's go this way. For, first of all, in terms of the Ezekiel passage, even the Jews would agree, even the Jewish rabbis would agree with me. And let me give you some examples, okay? So for instance, I got three passages from you, all from rabbinic sources. Now, now, before the Christian, the the Christians start slaughtering me over. I can't believe you're you're uh, quoting rabbinic sources. I'm not saying that I agree with the rabbis on this. What I'm saying is this is Jewish theology. This is straight out of Jewish holy books. Okay, not that I'm saying that I rest my my faith on these or even agree with them. But this is what the Talmud says. In, Mo, in uh, the Bavli and Moed Katan 28a, it says, Rabbi Ami said, Why was the Torah portion that describes the death of Miriam juxtaposed to the portion dealing with the red heifer? To tell you, just as the red heifer atones for sin, so too the death of the righteous atones for sin. Rabbi El- Eleazar said, Why was the Torah portion that describes the death of Aaron juxtaposed to the portion discussing the priestly garments? This teaches that just as the priestly garments atone for sin, so too, the death of the righteous atones for sin. In Midrash Rabbah 2012, it says, the sons of Aaron died on the first of Nisan. Why then is their death mentioned in connection with the Day of Atonement? It must be to teach that as the Day of Atonement affects atonement, so the death of the righteous affects atonement. Whence do we know that the Day of Atonement affects atonement? From the fact that it says, for on this day shall atonement be made for you, to cleanse you. Leviticus 16.30, and whence that the death of the righteous affects atonement from the fact it is written, and they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son, 2 Samuel 21.14, and it also is written, after that God was uh, entreated for the land. And yeah, and you could you could add to that the one of the traditional liturgies for Rosh Hashanah right. has to do with the Akedah, right. and the merit, the merit of the blood of Isaac. Right. And, and so the, it's ignorant. I, I would say that the person who typed that email is confused, and I, I don't mean this to shame the person, but frankly, uneducated. Well, here's the thing. Wait, hang on just a sec, though. What this is is this. Or, is, or it's deliberate, or it's deliberate straw man to try to distract people. Or it's ignorance building on a deliberate straw man. To deceive okay. people. Or any and, combination thereof. And, and the reason I would say that is because Tovia Singer knows better. <clears throat> Tovia Singer is a rabbi. He's a... Anti-missionary. Yeah. He's a huge anti-missionary. And he, he uses this this argument. Oh, Jews have never believed in human sacrifice. We would never say that the, that the death of a human would atone for sin. But he knows the Talmud. He knows that what he's saying is not true in Jewish theology. I'm going to give you one more just because I can already hear the, the, the naysayers. In 
uh, the Babylonian Talmud Shabbat 33b, it says, The Gemara answers, There it must be understood, in accordance with the, the statement of Rabbi Gurion, and Rabbi Gurion said, and some say that it was Rav Yosef, son of Rabbi Shemaiah, who said it, at a time when there are righteous people in the generation. The righteous are seized, that is, they die or suffer for the sins of the generation. If there are no righteous people in the generation, school children who are also without sin are seized for the sins of the generation. Now, this is a really interesting passage because this suggests, and and this is where there's going to be a huge difference between Christianity and Judaism, or those who believe in Yeshua and Judaism. Shabbat th- the, the, the Babylonian Talmud in Shabbat 33b says that either a righteous person or school children, because school children are also without sin. So this is to say that the righteous are without sin and that school children are without sin, whereas Christianity is going to say the fall of Adam and Eve imputed sin to all who came after them. And therefore, there are none who, who are righteous, not even one, right? And Paul quotes this in, in Romans. So the point is, is that within, within those who believe in Yeshua, the idea is that we're all guilty. The only thing that can save us is the, the, the blood of someone or the merit or the blood of someone who is completely righteous, who has no sin. And there is only one, and that is Yeshua. And this gets into the deity of the Messiah as well, because there's the reformers and actually the church fathers, they argued, right? Augustine argued against uh, Arius that a human could never pay for the sins of anyone. It was impossible. And he was right. Only the, the, the uh, death and resurrection of someone who is sinless and eternal in both directions can pay for the sins of the elect. Now, this is really where the, the um, fight against Yeshua comes, is the idea that Yeshua was deity, right? If you just say that he was a righteous man, okay, well then, what are the, I mean, you know, so, so, so. Right. The, well, well, and we know that from the book of Maccabees, First uh, and Second Maccabees, which are pre-Christian, they're written in the, you know, probably mid second century to the to the end you know to the beginning of the first century bc right and they portray the maccabeans uh, there's there's portrayal of martyrs right called the maccabean martyrs You're right who are literally dying as daniel boyarn's book dying for god and here's 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 from the mishnah it says, the, this is Mishnah Berachot chapter 9. So this is the core text of rabbinic that's believed to go to come from Moses at Sinai. It says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Deuteronomy 6, with all your heart. This means both your inclinations, the good inclination and the evil inclination, and all your soul, which means even if he takes your soul. And that that develops in, in the, the picturing at the Babylonian Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. Who it says it, even while they're there, the Romans are combing his body of flesh with these iron combs. They're, in other words, he's suffering this great torture. All he's doing is reciting the Shema, right? That he's this, and he's and and now he knows. And they ask him, how can you, how can you endure this? He says, now I know what it means to really die for God, to give 
to love God with all I am. It means he's offering himself. The picture is that he's offering himself as this, this pious uh, worshiper of God who's being killed while worshiping God. That's so the idea, you know, and that's in the, that's in the mission in the Babylonian Talmud. You've given examples from the Talmud and from the Midrash, you know, and there's countless examples. People have already written. I think, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but I think uh, Dr. Michael Brown gets into this question in his answering Jewish uh, objection. Yeah, it's, it's volume two. And actually I read, I read his uh, portion on this and actually that's where I, so I started take, taking the, because he lists countless um, yeah, yeah. Talmud, so Mishnah, Midrash, and even out of the Zohar. So that's like a Babe Ruth. That's like a Babe Ruth. He's like, He's yeah, like, basically, basically he's what I did, into the... The, the three passages that I read, I mean, I plagiarized directly, you know, quotes directly out of, out of Brown. Basically, what I did was I took the three quotes that I felt were the most poignant and, and, and so you know, just, just found them myself and, and, and quoted them. But Dr. Brown does a, a wonderful job of, of showing that, uh, that within Jewish theology, certainly... Certainly, the idea of the death of the right, and I encountered this when I was in, when I was in uh, Israel. Right, the Breslover took me to the mm-hmm. tomb of David and said, "Okay, now we're going to pray and ask King David, you know, to hear our prayers and to bless us." It's like, what are you talking about? Why would I do that? And I mean, so this is throughout, throughout Jewish theology. Zane asked the question, is it right to call it human sacrifice? You know, I, I don't think so. And the reason why is because certainly, you know, this was a huge debate within church theology, whether or not Yeshua was, had, a, um, had a human nature or a divine nature. And they came to the conclusion that, that Yeshua has both. He has, a, he has a totally human nature and he has a totally divine nature. For me, the idea is that you can't say that... that I mean, it's true that a human sacrifice would never atone for sin. Ever. Because you have to have, it's a divine sacrifice. God comes down from heaven, takes the form of a man, is a man, lowers himself to the form of a servant, and gives himself for for his people. It's it's Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh himself. So, I mean, can we say that that's a human sacrifice? I mean, certainly Yeshua was fully, was fully human, but he's also fully yod If it was just a human being, that would never work. All right. That's what I got on that. You got anything else? God's whole nature is one of... Uh, is one of his sovereign decision to disclose himself to people that would, to his own creation. This in Gospel of John, it says, he came into his own, his own did not receive him. All things came to be through him, right? God chose to give himself. And that giving was a reflection. It was, it was in full integrity with his love, his holiness, his purity, his faithfulness, his justice, his full character. So there's nothing 
that Yeshua did in, in his incarnation, there's nothing Yeshua did that did not reflect perfectly the fullness of the Godhead, right. the fullness of, of God's self-disclosure that even the worst torture that the world, the most cruel, inhumane abuses known to man would not detour the incarnate Son of God from ex, um, fully expressing God's love. Here's here, I just was in a conversation the other day with someone. This is how this is how, this is how I think of it because we we're thinking about the passages we're reading in Luke where he comes into the synagogue and they're like there's Pharisees there and they're like watching him right it says that they use this uh, this word paratereo is this idea of they're watching him not just like oh they're watching him oh oh see what he's gonna do they're watching because they want to find something that they can pounce on right and accuse him and he knows now the Luke doesn't tell us but but we know that Yeshua knows that the head of the synagogue is a is a is a scoundrel, but he doesn't, but he doesn't go and confront the guy. What he does, he goes to the lady who's all bent over for 18 years and he heals her on the Shabbat. And she starts rejoicing. She starts praising God instantaneously. And the other people there who know this lady start praising God. And then this guy, the leader of the synagogue is like, wait a minute, do your work six days. The Shabbat is a day for rest. And Yeshua says so you know he's like if your own son fell into a pit on the sabbath or your animal you take your animal out and water your animal on shabbat why would this daughter of abraham not be able to be healed on shabbat i i come i encounter her today i'm going to heal her today and then it says you know so yeshua doing good in this particular synagogue with this particular who knows who it might only been 30 people there. We don't even know how many people were there. But the point is, he came and he did good. And in his doing good, it exposed the evil heart. Yeshua didn't have to go to the evil person and say, you're evil. He did good. He brought blessing into the world. He brought joy into the world. He brought healing, restoration, hope, real, real good heavenly blessing, substance stuff that those people went and told their neighbors, they told their kids, their grandkids, and it becomes part of the gospel of Luke, okay? He brought that into the world, but he knew something that they didn't know. He also knew that this was one step closer to the cross, that in bringing, by following the will of the Father, by, by taking every step in obedience to the Father and bringing blessing, healing, miracle, teaching, good Torah teaching, right? You know, accurate, perfect Torah teaching, rebuke when it was needed, parable when it was needed, blessing, 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 blessing into the world. Every blessing is a step closer to the cross. And that did not detour him because any other man, any other man in history could not, couldn't hold his stuff. You know what I mean? And so it's, I, I feel it's so, it, it's so uh, bottom of the barrel, I guess, these kinds of emails, these, right. the kind of thinking 
it, it's such a distraction from Yeshua's glory. It's di- well, yes, I completely and, and, and agree people, with you. People who are people who are drawn <clears throat> and who are going to start latching on and making that their food, they remind me of rats scrounging down the alleyways and um, between walls where there's decay and poop and and mold and disease, and that's where they want to hang out. And it's like, you know what? Yeshua would say that that's their reward. You know, if that's, if that's, if that's the kind of uh, soul that they have to offer, you know, then that's where they are. Well, I mean, look, we've talked about Tovia Singer on this show before. The fact of the matter is, is that Tovia is not honest with his audience. What he does is he preys on the hope and oftentimes the fact that his audience is ignorant to Jewish belief and to the Torah and to the apostolic scriptures. Yeah. I, and I he mean, makes a lot and he makes a living out of it. And he makes a living out of it. So, I mean, okay. You know, this happens in scholarship too, right? Good scholars will be honest with whatever their texts, their source texts say, no matter what. And sometimes that's difficult because you might have a preconceived notion of something that's going on and a text might disagree with it. And then you have to deal with it. Then you have to figure out what's going on. What so many people who are untrained and want to be internet scholars do is they take their preconceived notion and they just shove the evidence into their preconceived notion. And I'm not talking about Judaism. I'm talking about people in the Hebrew roots. I'm talking about people in Messianic Judaism. I'm talking about even people in you know, Christianity. Part of, of doing uh, honest work is trying to figure out exactly what's going on and then showing the result. And, uh, you know, this happened even, you know, this happens even with, with Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman has an idea in his head, and he has taken things so far beyond what they, what the evidence shows. That he's, you know, now he's on the other side, which is unfortunate because he's leading a lot of people astray. Um, okay, should we move on? Sure. Yeah. Jesse writes, now we only have about 20 minutes, so this could get long. Jesse writes, I think something... It would be great to address. And then, by the way, I haven't even mentioned this comment to Rob. So this is going to be a blind. This is a blind taste test. Um, basically, this person says is talking about Mike Winger, and I love Mike. He's I met him in in um, San Diego. It was a pleasure to meet him. I enjoy a lot of his videos. Disagree with him on some stuff, but uh, he's got yeah, he's got some great things to say. Uh, so Jesse says, I think something that would be great to address is how Mike says that the believers are to keep the law of Christ and not the law of God. It's something he said during his Hebrew Roots video. This is interesting because we've also had discussions with people like... Do we have um, a quote of that? Because is that really what he said? I mean, I'm not, I, don't know. I don't follow this guy, so I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I would, I would have to have an exact quote of that to say that Mike so he would have that. So he would have to say that Christ is not God then? No. Like if... Uh, yeah, I, so I think what uh, the people who uh, espouse the idea of a law of Christ is that Christ comes, does away with the law, <clears throat> and sets up the law of Christ, which is the law under grace. This is the idea. 
Right. Now, I'm one. Rob's absolutely right. I don't have a quote of Mike saying this, so I don't want to say that Mike even said this. Um, but there are people who say that that Christians are to keep the law of Christ. Well, I would agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would agree too. I fully agree. Um, so, so, but we're still so, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I, so now, I think, now I think, I think, say, well, I, what think is that? I think that that Rob and I are going to agree that the law of Christ is the Torah, right? It's 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 the fullness of the Torah. It's the it's the the reading and understand back to our second Corinthians three passage. It's reading the ancient covenant, but not with the veil over our hearts because we're, we're, because we're turned to the Lord because our hearts are turned to the Lord. And so we see just like we just read from Luke 24, where Yeshua says, this is, this is what's written about me. In the Gospel of John, John tells us, I think it's at the end of chapter five. He says, you know, if you believe, if you really believed Moses, you'd believe me. Right. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Okay, so Yeshua is affirming <laughs> not, oh, yeah, I know Moses said that, but you got to forget that because I'm the new kid in town and I've got a new Torah, you know, to give. I think no, the, the want. I think the want by by those teachers, and you know, you you got people like uh, the guys down at Apologia Studio. They would say, no, 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 the law of God is Christ's law. They just believe in different applications for certain laws. So, the the point the, the point of the idea, I think, for those who teach the law of Christ over the the law of God, quote unquote. I don't know if that's the actual terms that are used. Is the idea that Christ needs to give us, you know. Uh, easier laws to follow. In other words, there's oh right, Go, okay. So there's easier or or those that that's one excuse, right? Easier or it could be oh those were those were for Israel, Israel right? And the church is a new thing. Yeah, exactly. And so so gotcha. the church's laws are, are Christ's laws. By the way, I want to go back real quick. There's something in the chat room that just has to be addressed. Miguel says, "Way to insult people who have honest questions by calling them rats." I don't think that was the intent of Rob, but the, but let me defend him real quick, and then he can he, he can defend himself. Um, the point is, is these are not honest questions, and yeah. if they are, and if they are honest questions, they're being taken from someone who's not asking honest questions. The point is, is that someone like Tobias Singer knows better. That's not an obvious question. My point here was it. Did you say it's a, a Miguel? I don't have yeah. the chat box open. Well, I'll, I'll answer the question. Yes, they're rats. And what I said was rats are the people who are going to, who are um, intrigued by and wanting to pursue these lines of questioning that detract from the full glory of Yeshua. They detract, they distract a person who has the scriptures open before them with all the nourishment of the whole word of God before them to run down these rabbit trails led by the blind people. So it's the blind leading the blind and people who like the questions. And you can tell by the, as Caleb so clearly shows in the email, the intent is this is not the, this is not a, a, a 
childlike faith or one who's learning. The conclusion he gave in the email was, therefore, Jesus can't be the Messiah or whatever. That right. it was something it's, like that. It's leading. They're, it's leading. They're trying to lead Blind people. leading yeah. the blind, and I double down. Rats. Rats. And if you don't like it, tough. You know, you don't have to be in the chat room. Rats. Boom. Okay. Um, so back to it. I think that the idea of here's, here's one of the big problems I see with the modern idea of, and I, since I'm not super familiar with the concept of, you know, I might be misrepresenting the idea of law of Christ different than what certain teachers are going to represent law of Christ as. But, but my point is, is God has one law. There's one law for Jew and Gentile. Christ upheld it. Christ taught it. You know, Matthew 5, 17 and following, I think is, I think that's probably one of the reasons that Matthew 5, 17 through I think it's 21 is quoted so much by the Hebrew roots in the Messianic circles is because there's really no good response to it from those in Christianity who try to explain it away. In other words, Yeshua says it's forever. Yeshua says whoever doesn't keep it is least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever sure, upholds right, it is right, great right. in the kingdom of heaven. It's well, really hard see, to try to explain this. Is it Roman 7? He says the, the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. Yeah. All of okay. Romans talks about the law so, being good. So these are, these, are, these are discussions. We've kind of shifted. So we've got one aspect of the discussion is believer with unbelievers coming from a probably suspiciously anti-missionary orientation who've been reading the fodder fed them by who knows whom coming at us. So there's that aspect. And then there's the internal discussion between believers about interpreting the scriptures that all the believers agree are true. And this is our, this is reflects the challenge and the, and the, the different kinds of, abilities that God equips teachers in the body of Christ to be able to shift and handle these different kinds of battlefronts because they're different. The, the, the battle with um, an anti-missionary is very, very different and requires a different type of temperament than the, uh, the battle, if you want to use the same word, is probably not battle, between believers about um their their struggle to give an accurate account of what the scriptures say to give an ap- accurate account of what our shared uh confessed confession of Yeshua being the incarnate God so, suffering dying for our sins etc there's you know there's there's multiple things going on here first of all you know, Miguel tries to double down himself, but but the point here is, if a Orthodox Jewish or a Hasidic Jewish person comes to me and says, "I don't understand," humans cannot bear the iniquity of another person, and it's an honest question. Can you describe this to me? My answer is not, "You're a rat." The answer is, "Absolutely." Come, let, let's sit down and open the scriptures together. And I think that uh, Gary uh, puts it perfect. John called some of those coming out to be immersed a brood of vipers. And that's the point. You still have that brood of vipers waiting and trying to, to shut down 
the truth of the scriptures. Well put, and, and I, I I really appreciate that. And that reminds me, Gary, of uh, wolves in sheep clothing. So if you don't like if you don't like rat, <laughs> we could you could go serpent, you know, viper. We could go wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, and and the po- the point is, is if Miguel has a uh, a question. I have no problem, you know, an honest question. I have no problem if you, I mean, if you or somebody else has an honest question, absolutely. Let's talk about it. My point is this, when we, when we talk about people like Tobia Singer, when we talk about a lot of the other uh, anti-missionaries, you know, I talked to anti-missionaries when I was in Israel. Granted, this was 20 years ago, but it was the same kind of tactics. They, they have all this literature and they gave me all this literature and it preyed on the idea that as a Christian, I would not know my scriptures well enough to be able to refute what they were saying, or that I wouldn't know the rabbinical text well enough to be able to say, but this isn't what Judaism believes. Right. So the point is, is this is where they're not being honest. That And this is, I mean... It's a sleight of hand kind exactly, of... Uh, exactly. Uh, ...venture. They don't want it, their traction, their ability to get traction means that you're not nourished on the good word of the Bible, nor are you educated about the background of the rabbinic world and the rabbinic worldview and texts. And as if you're ignorant on both those fronts and you're, you're hanging around the flock of believers, you are prey that those wolves are, you know, they want to, they want to get in there. So I, yeah. Yeah. And Gary once again comes in with a great comment. Anti-missionaries use the text to deceive. You know what? This is a great exhortation for believers. We should, you know, and and my interview, I'm going to go back to it. I talked about it last week. My interview with Dustin Bench, preparing for that interview was really, really a, a great, um, a, 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 it was kind of eye-opening for me because he, you know, in some of his other interviews, he said some just wonderful things. And it made me rethink a lot of the way that I approach people, the way that I try to talk to people about faith and these kind of things. If what we're trying to do is simply make people not believe what they believe and come to the truth, then we're coming at it the right, the, the wrong way. What we should be doing is proclaiming the truth, whether or not we think people are going to believe it or not. The truth will always win out. Exactly. Even if it's not until the Messiah is standing before people and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But the point is, is that the truth will went out. And so if we preach the truth of scripture, we don't have to put, you know, we've been, we've been uh, told so many times, oh, you put people down or whatnot. You know what? I've tried to move away from, from um, uh, attacking people in any way, shape or form. What I want to do is I want to, and even, you know, even attacking theology, we can attack theology certainly. But the point is, is I want to preach the truth. We want to talk about the truth and talk about what the truth is. So that, so that people hear the truth, the scripture, which is truth, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the thing, not us. It's the thing that's going to penetrate this, the soul and the heart. And it's the thing that's going to affect change in people through the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one that turns people. So the idea that I need to come out swinging and, and uh, you know, I need to use the text so that this person is going to ditch this, uh, you know, this belief that's not, I don't think that that's necessarily, that might be the truth, but it might not be the way that we need to approach things. In other words, our approach should be, let's preach the truth and love to people so that they can hear the truth and the Holy Spirit can work on them. Not, you're so wrong, so let's, you know, and that, I mean, I, anyone who's listened to this show for f- six years now, 
understands the change in my approach to people, right? Yeah. Okay. But back to back to Gary's quote. Why didn't John the Baptist have that approach? Oh, don't give me. Why did why did he why did he say you serpents? Why did Yeshua? I'm I'm completely with you. And, and why and, did Paul and, bring this? And this is one of the reasons that I that I have no problem saying, look, Tovia Singer is un, un, he's not honest. Tovia Singer's a liar. And he deceives knowing he deceives on purpose. And he does it specifically to try to bring people away from Christ. That should be called out every single time. I have no problem with that. Call a spade a spade. If an anti-missionary comes around, anti-missionary. This is what they're saying, and this is why it's wrong. So, I mean, there are certainly times that we stand up for our faith. I think what I'm talking about more is, you know, somebody called the office earlier today was talking about two-house theology. It was a great conversation. At least I had a lot of fun, you know, talking with this person. And I actually, he even taught me some things without knowing it. He taught me some things as I was talking about two-house theology that I thought, yeah, you know what, I think that that's absolutely what the scriptures are saying here. The point is, is that when I'm in community, and this all goes back to community, right? When we go back to community, and the person comes in who it might be, and this has happened, you know, we've had some people say some passing statements that it's like, Ooh, I don't think that's necessarily accurate, but you don't sit there and blast the person, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you agree with me or am I off? No, I, I think there's, and that there's a sniff test. There's a kind of sniff <laughs> exactly. test. It's like, do I smell a rat? That's the that's my that's the idiom I use. Yeshua says, "Don't give what's holy to the dogs, don't give pearls to swine." He's not talking about animals. He's talking about people. That means we are called. If you're a disciple of Yeshua, you better have somewhere in your category of thought that there's going to be people that are behaving in the way that Yeshua is talking about. Otherwise, you're saying that you're a disciple of Yeshua, and he taught something that has no application to your life whatsoever. Because you have no, there's no dogs or swine in, in your in your environment in terms of people. And that means Yeshua's teaching there has no application for you. I would say, on the contrary, if you are a serious, if you take that seriously, your discipleship to him, then you're going to encounter swine and dogs and serpents and rats and wolves. I didn't. This is. I didn't invent this. So don't be mad at me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Yeah. It's. You know. This isn't a real. I, yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We have five minutes until uh, I have a hard stop. So what we're going to do is we're going to end here. I want to next week. I'm going to do some studying this week because Evelyn brought up a really good question. And maybe Rob and I will talk about it on Monday, and and we'll we'll have a more hashed out idea. It's about the idea of baptism for the dead in in First uh, Corinthians fifteen. It's a really good question, and uh, it's one that I am not fully set on yet, because I I thought I was until this morning when I opened up a couple of commentaries. I thought, hmm, that's a really interesting idea. So I'm and and it kind of made me rethink some of the. Uh, ideas that I had of that passage, but I want to, I want to, before we make any, uh, idea, give any ideas of what we might think, I want to actually sit down and, and do a really hard look at that passage. So that'll be fun. I think we also have some other, uh, stuff that we've covered before. Somebody wants to know about, uh, dietary laws and, uh, acts 15. 
so on and so forth. So thank you so much to everyone who supports this show. And uh, we will um, we will be back next week. I'm hoping that we'll do a um, uh, Messiah Matters More video uh, tomorrow. Also, don't forget that our uh, producer credits are now up on our website. You can go and find them there, torresource.com. Anything else you want to say, Rob, before we get going? Nope. All right. Thanks, everybody in the chat room. We really appreciate it. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior. Uh, I, I, w- I would quote Paul in Galatians, beware the dogs. Maybe that, was, maybe that was Philippians. All right, guys. <laughs>